Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Welcome to Psych Insights from Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers here along with John Carlton. How are you doing, John? Pretty good, Kevin. How are you? Really good, buddy. And I'm excited for this episode. This is, I, I'm pretty sure, never been talked about before. Uh, any marketing podcast or anywhere in uh, our little universe of direct response marketing. This is real insider stuff. Today, we're going to talk about the art of road dogging. So, John, please explain to us first what a road dog is. Yeah, I think uh, the the term road dog has it has another meaning among civilians. And when I speak of civilians, I mean anybody who's not a freelance marketer or a direct response, uh, excuse me, a freelance copywriter or a direct response marketer. The people who understand our side of the business, which is a a very uh, uh, salesmanship oriented way of of creating uh, advertising, marketing, uh, websites, everything uh, in business, a little different than the way other people do. So people who are outside of business, I call them civilians. And to civilians, a road dog is just somebody that hops in the car with you and goes somewhere. And, it's, and that's fine. That's, that's a fine operational uh, definition. For insiders, for people who actually are out there in the world writing ads, dealing with clients, doing consulting, especially going on uh, on the speaking tour, if you're ever speaking anywhere, it has a totally different meaning. And um, I was introduced to road dogging by Gary Halbert. And what happened was I really didn't understand what was going on until the first day I actually went into Gary's offices in on Sunset Boulevard across from the Roxy in North Hollywood. He was in the 9000 building just down the road from the Playboy building, the Whiskey A Go-Go and all that famous area. And it was great. And I parked my car and I went up and I was going to work with Gary Halbert. And I knew who he was and he had... I had stalked him and he kind of semi-stalked me. And then he said, ah, hell, just come on and let's let's work. And he kind of bought up my free time. So I was still technically a freelancer, but I was working for Gary. Yeah. So I go up there for the first day and he gives me this, this empty office with just a steel desk in there <laughs> and a chair and a, a legal tablet. And he wants me to write up a, a, an ad or something. And he, and he gives me some brief instructions and then... Um, and then wanders away again. So I'm looking at this legal pad because at that time I'm working on word processors and, and I have a computer and stuff and I type. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to get out of this. I'm not, no way am I writing an ad longhand. And and I'm thinking, well, and so I'm thinking to myself how I'm going to write this ad and headlines. Five minutes later, Gary bursts back in and goes, come on. He throws me a set of keys and we go down and we get in his newly leased 1988, I think, Mustang 
<clears throat> uh, convertible. And uh, I go, where, where are we going? He goes, we're just going. <laughs> and, and I hop in the car and I'm driving and we just drive around and he's talking and I'm talking and we're talking about everything under the sun, including business, but also including other things in our lives, music, women, um, <clears throat> the state of the world, all, all kinds of stuff. And then Gary would kind of loop for a while. And when I talk about looping, he that's the way he wrote. He wrote largely in his head. Yeah. So that by the time he sat down to write an ad, it was already figured out. But he needed somebody to bounce off of. So part of my job was to listen to him as he looped through these ads. He went through the headline, the opening, and kind of the basic part of the pitch for a direct mail letter he, he was going to write. And I listened to him, and, and he'd say it over and over again. He was changing it very minutely. And I realized, okay, this is part of the job. I mean, he never sat down and explained it to me. But I started to think, this is part of the job. He likes to go on the road. Uh, we just drove around North Hollywood and Los Angeles and went out to the beach and then came back. And it was part of my job to take care of Gary while we're on the road. And technically, we weren't very far from the offices. Yet, as soon as we left the offices, I became what I realized was a road dog. And it was my job to, like, to like handle him and his needs while he was on the road now that he took care of of uh, getting his own hotel room and, and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it, when we did go on, actually on the road and uh, it, when he was doing uh, speaking tours or we were we were uh, I was co-producing seminars for him all, all, all over the country. I would have to watch his back, I guess, is one of the best ways to yeah. do it. So I was, I, was, I was always hovering, and I would keep people from bothering him when I knew uh, he, he needed to be alone or he needed to be thinking about something. Um, I was like a moderating guy. It was like uh, other people called me things like, you know, Gary's right-hand man or, you know, the— uh, the guy behind the throne. Now, I wasn't the power behind the throne. I, right. I, I, I wasn't a powerful figure. What I was was a, I was kind of his hitman, his consigliere in, in yeah, a way. Right. And, um, and so I, we'll, we'll explain this a little bit more, but the, the basic idea of the road dog was for me and, and Kevin, I, I think I mentioned this to you before is when I went into road dog mode, wherever it was, it life and business and everything else was no longer about me. It was about Gary. It was my job to, to be able to see into the future five minutes, to be able to, to predict things. And again, not as like a secretary or a personal assistant, but I did do some of those things when they were needed. Mostly, I was just I was just the guy that he could turn to and say, "John, what's going on here?" or or where are we? Are we on time? What's going on? Yeah. And I would sometimes arrange uh, for getting a car wherever we were, or you know, if we had free time. And so a lot of it was business, but a lot of it was just shucking and jiving for the downtime that highly creative people need in order to be highly creative. And just as just as a side point to cement this, how tough the job can be is after that first road dogging experience, so we drove around for about an hour, hour and a half, maybe even two hours. We got back to the building. We went back up. I tossed him back the keys. He went into his office. I went in, back into my office and sat down and stared at that at that yellow legal pad, uh, which was the only thing in, in, on the desk. And a minute later, the door burst open. It was Gary. He says, hey, have you written that ad yet? And I said, 
Gary, I just spent two hours with you on the road driving around. And he just looked and he shook his head. He says, I, I need that. I need that ad done. He walked out and I realized, <laughs> okay, that's got to go into the pot too. There's not going to be a rational give and take. Now, now Gary and I became very, very close uh, personal friends. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I was a mentee. He was a mentor. I was a mentee, even though he was paying me. And I, w- I, I was working my way through that mentorship yeah. by providing writing, by working with him. And I realized being a road dog. Now, I, I did that for about, jeez, uh, I got to think here, four or five years. When I left, Mongo, our, our good friend Scott uh, Haynes, mm-hmm. took over that job. And he did it for, for a very long time. And Gary's had a, had a succession of road dogs, including his son, Bond, who, he, who proudly calls himself Gary's first road dog because he <laughs> was a road dog even as a teenager. Yeah. And uh, it, it, I realized how important the role was, how critical it was. And I have spent my life looking for good road dogs. I've had, I've had a number of people fail at the job. And by watching how they failed and why they failed, I realized how lucky I was to just be able to figure this out so, so quickly. It literally, it, in the same first road dogging experience I had with Albert, I figured it out. And I didn't realize that that was not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. And Kevin, uh, you've road dogged for me, and I realized talking to you that you your history in the uh, in the comedy field had prepared you for being a good road dog. You didn't need it explained to you very much either, and you understood. Right. Um, and in fact, you were a MC, right? And as an MC, your primary job, as we were saying, is it's not about you; it's about the the headliner acts and the other acts. Right. And even though you're up there telling jokes and handling everything. You're really a, um, I, I don't know, in the Godfather thing. You're you're not quite a consigliere, but you're you're a guy who's in charge of. Without you, the whole thing falls apart. Yet you don't necessarily get the credit. You don't get right. the billing. You don't get any of that stuff. Yeah, it's uh, you're setting up the other comics, right? You you right. you sort of take on a responsibility for the show. Uh, like for instance, if uh, the feature act uh, ends with a, a particularly dirty joke. Uh, you'll, and you know that the headliner is a little bit of a cleaner act. You know, you'll try to transition their, their brains back. Aside from having to fill five or seven minutes while everybody gets up and uses the restroom and, and, and you know, clanks around, um, you also want to try to gear the crowd's heads back to set up the headliner because you know their opening joke and you want them to, you know, have the best chance at building their own momentum throughout. Oh their my set. God! So you, you even th- this is even a better analogy than I thought. You understood the DNA of the process, yeah, uh, by knowing what the opening joke of the next guy was. You're actually thinking ahead in in time, maybe a couple minutes, maybe five minutes. Maybe you're thinking to the end of the show to that. You know, if you have a clean headliner, you know, who's coming on, maybe you've got to. Uh, you know, start to adjust things or start to prepare the crowd. Yeah. And, and beyond that, I, I had another advantage where um, when I started in comedy, my first mentor was a local radio celebrity, a uh, really huge star locally. And um, he was a big personality. And so he would use the younger comics to help shield him from some of the crazier fans you can imagine like morning radio fans can be a little nutty, you know? And uh, so he would, you know, pull us over and he'd say, hey, you know, uh, I know this guy 
is going to come bore ass me. So, and, 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 you know, he'll say, when I, when I make a certain move, come over and tell me I have a phone call, those kinds of things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we learned that, all right, there's signals and, you know, uh, this guy's, you know, needs his time and we got to help him out and, and sort of shield him. Now I should say that, um, one of the reasons this is on my mind is that Kevin road dogged for me at a very recent event down in Florida where I spoke at the, um, at the AWA huge seminar, what there were 500 people, maybe, maybe more in the yeah, audience. It was, it was a very large event. We, I was in the hotel and I think I was the only guy there with, with a road dog, really a lot of the speakers travel with their wives. Um, they very seldom un feel they need a road dog and they suffer for it. And by the way, let me, let me bring this back to why I, I think this is so important for me. It was an entry level to, a mentee attitude that was critical for me working with Halbert. Mm. And this gets back to, I've had, once you reach a level of influence in any business, but especially I know this business, the marketing, advertising, writing world, once you reach a degree of, of influence, people will come up to you and say, can I get inside your world? I'll do anything. And I cannot stress this enough that that is absolutely the wrong thing to say. <laughs> right. That puts it back on me. Then it's then if I did need something, regardless, it's up to me to say, well, can you do this? Can you do this? Um, of, uh, you know, I, I, if I was, which I don't, I very few people have ever gotten through to to the inside of my world. And I don't want to hear, have a lot of people contacting me saying, you know, I'll do anything, you know, I'll, I'll wash your floors or wash your car. I don't need my car washed. I don't need groceries gotten for me. I don't need anything. My world is set. I, I've, I've been alive for a long time. What I do need is somebody who understands how to be a good colleague at the road dog level, which means it's not about you anymore. It's yeah. it's really about me getting the job done. And it's not because I'm an egocentric, son of a bitch, celebrity loving, um, of, of, uh, you know, glory hog. It's quite the opposite. It's because, uh, and, and Halbert was the same way. Um, I'm, I'm an introvert who needs downtime and needs to protect that downtime and I can't be distracted too much. If I'm going, if my job at a, an event is to give a, a presentation, which by the way, a 90 minute presentation can be extremely exhausting, especially for an introvert, yeah. uh, physically demanding, uh, can wipe you out for, for up, up to a day. I also have to interact with a lot of people. I'm going to interact with the audience, with the, um, with other with my colleagues there a lot of things can go on and i went to this event with the idea of delivering my speech and also networking networking with people i hadn't met before uh networking again with colleagues and i think we're going to tie this in with with a story about dan kennedy mm -hmm. and um you know i knew i could probably do it myself but i was going to uh, that was going to be a big load to carry so i told them i was bringing a road dog and I contacted Kevin, and Kevin jumped at the chance. He's done it a couple of times for me and yeah. understands the process. And part of that was like like your radio show host guy. Um, 
there was one moment where I, I wanted to watch the Giants game at the hotel where this event was taking place. And there was a Giants, uh, a San Francisco Giants playoff game on. I think they were still playing, uh, was it Philly? I think or, it was the series. Was it the series? Okay. It was, yeah. So, you know, it was, it was an important game. I had my Giants hat on and I was sitting there and I was, I was watching the game. And, uh, you know, I kind of sat in an area where I had part one flank covered so people couldn't approach me. And Kevin took the other flank and actually didn't, there wasn't a lot, but there was a little bit. You had to parry some people coming in to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to be protected. I'm not an asshole and I will <laughs> talk to people, but there are times where, dude, I'm watching the game. You know, this there, this is an important part of the game. Yeah. I don't want to hear about your your pet supply business in, in Cleveland, Ohio right now. <laughs> well, you know, it, yeah, let me, let me, you know, you do something, John, that, that um, people can take wrong, but people that understand respect it and that you're very upfront with when you speak or, or you're at your events or anybody's events, you will say to people, please do not corner me. Uh, between breaks or between especially at the urinal sessions <laughs> yeah at the urinal and you make a great point it's so true everybody wants um two minutes hey can yeah. i ask, or a quick question yeah and look in this business there's no such thing as a quick question right you know a quick question is uh where's the closest mcdonald's you know to ask the front desk clerk that's a quick question and uh, you know um what's a better headline is not by the way just to just to jump on that on if if you ask the clerk where's a good place to eat which is how most people phrase their marketing questions Mm. vague then I got to come back. What What are you looking for? Yeah. And then then it starts to go into ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Oh, they figure it out. So for people who don't really understand what's going on, it it's never a short question. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So no, no such thing as a quick question, and uh, nothing takes five minutes, right? right. So um, you you t- you announce from the stage. Look, don't bother me. Don't come talk to me. And like you said just now, it's, it's, I'm not an asshole. It's just that I have to uh, preserve my energy and my focus. And uh, I'm not going to be able to give you anything like fulfilling advice for me or for you if you try to corner me and ask me a quick question. So please don't right. do it. And I think for the most part, people respect that. Yeah? Um, yes. In fact, at my... At the seminars that I've given, the uh, copywriting sweatshops and the hot seat seminars that, that, that I've given through the years... I announce in hour one, I say, by the way, uh, b- pretend I'm invisible during breaks. Um, and at my masterminds for lunch, you know, even though I invite people like at the level of Joe Sugarman, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, Rich Sheffron and, and, you know, Joe, Joe Polish, I tell them at lunch, I'm going to go take a nap. So I'm not having lunch with you. I'll have dinner with you later, maybe. But I'm not going to have lunch with you. I need to go nap for for half an hour to to restore. And of course, most of these people totally understand this, and it's it's not a problem. But it's amazing how many people are just outside of the understanding of that. There was a famous story about Mick Jagger that Gary liked to tell back when Mick was trying to start his own solo career outside of the Rolling Stones, which didn't go very well back in the 80s. But he had on his rider that, and he did a long show. This guy did like a four-hour show. I mean, you know, say what you will about any of the celebrities. You can tell the top ones from the not-so-top ones by how much they give when they they present. However, 
they will be punished for being good good performers. Mick Jagger had in his writer that at his break, he had a banana waiting along with some other stuff. <laughs> and this guy wrote in and did a long article. I think it was in Rolling Stone. I'm not sure. But um, uh, Howard read it. And they didn't have a banana form. Now, the reason Mick Jagger wants a banana at this break in this four-hour show is for the potassium. <laughs> he needs it to be able to go back out there and maintain his strength and his focus and all of this stuff. And they didn't have a banana, and he blew up at him. And this guy writes a story about what an asshole Mick Jagger is because he didn't get his, you know, and then air quotes, his banana, you know, like it's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Well, it is a big deal. Right. And, and Halbert used that story as a metaphor for who understands and who doesn't. Mm. And for people who want to get on the inside of any world at all, whether it's comedy, Hollywood, uh, advertising and marketing, um, you know, working at a, uh, at, at a car lot, whatever business you're in, there's an inside and there's an outside. And the inside is going to be relatively small. And it's, 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 there will be some people who are in there because of their family. But you, you don't, don't worry about them and certainly don't use them as a, as a model for doing anything. The, the people who get on the inside are the ones who bring something to the table. And that can be expertise, that can be talent, that can be companionship. But one of the ways to, that, that I got in with Halbert was I became a very, very good road dog. I became a, a person who understood what was required at the moment. I didn't ask him, what do you need today? I knew what, what, yeah. was, what was coming up. I, I got inside of the, of the bugger's head. And while I was there, by the way, there were at least two other writers who thought they were in cushy positions because Gary brought them in to write. And, and it was like he held the door open to the inside of his world and said, come on in. And they hovered outside. They said, eh, you know, and essentially they said, why don't you come out with, with me? I, I don't want to go in there. Hmm. And they didn't want to do the, the minimal. They didn't want to make the attitude change where it wasn't about them anymore. And I, I would just sit there. I watched this happen a couple of times. It was astonishing to see the process. And then when I was looking for good road dogs, I went through the same process. I burned through several writers hmm. who jumped at the chance to be a road dog for me and then blew it from the very first point. It it was all about them. They they weren't there when I needed them. They didn't do the minimal part of the job. And and yet when we when they asked me why I they weren't invited back, I said, because you didn't do a good job as a road dog. And they were astonished. They had no idea, even though I was telling them in real time, very clear. I don't I don't deal well in metaphor and stuff when I'm telling people what to do. It's not like yeah. well you should have guessed that you weren't doing it right because I was sad that afternoon. No, I'm going to tell you, dude, you, you screwed up, you know, right. and, and I'm very upfront. They still don't get it. And, and to this day, I'd say four or five guys, I've uh, writers I've tried to bring in mm. and they just don't get it. And I had to learn that, you know, there's probably something in the makeup of a yeah. person I'll, I'll, that they either make it or they don't. You can't take any comic and make them an, an MC. You can't take any writer and turn them into a copywriter. And you can't take any copywriter and turn them into a road doc. That, that's a great point. I was going to mention that, that some of, it, some of it is sort of innate. And I, I think I'm willing to bet, I, I put myself on the spot here, but some of those writers who failed at this, I wonder how uh, successful their freelance career was. Uh, you know, just going through the mental Rolodex, you know, are, are those people who have thriving freelance careers or are those guys who crash and burn more often maybe than some others? Well, they either crash or burn or they become a vendor. Remember part yeah. of my talk 
yeah. at that point was about the levels of becoming a copywriter. And most copywriters are content to be like a vendor. Right. They come in, they get told what, what is needed, what needs to be written, and then they write what's needed. Yeah. The next level up, though, you become a consultant who writes. And then you come in and you go, man, that's really not what you need. Maybe you need this, or let me look at this, or that's not really the problem. And you start to present solutions rather than just fulfilling something. So, but a lot, mo the majority, vast majority of writers are quite content to be vendors. Yeah. So um, what, what, the, the connection I was going to make there is that, you know, it's part of a, a thing I call the sickness. I wrote it. <laughs> I wrote about this in yeah, my yeah, forward to your latest uh, version of the freelancers um, guide. But um, it, essentially what it is, is, is a bit of a codependency, but it's not necessarily a negative thing. It just means that you instinctively look out for other people. You have a built-in sort of, you know, caring device and it allows you to see um, things that you, you might naturally alert other people to. Um, you know, because part of this is that, you know, John, it's not like you, when you invite me to Road Dog or anybody else, um, like you hand somebody this list of things. These are the things I need done. Right. You know, there's no brown M&M's uh, clause in your, in this. <laughs> David Lee Roth, right? It, it, right. And by the way, like, like the banana story, the, you know, Van Halen gets a bad rap for the no brown M&M's thing, but that was in their writer to see if, if the um, promoter was reading it. Great you know, story. Yeah, that yeah. was a, that was an Easter egg sort of a thing. So uh, if if they walked in and there were brown brown M and M's, they thought, "What else has gone wrong? What yeah, else is or, going to screw up at this show?" There was that, or even you know, before that, they would usually get the call. They go, "Are, are they serious? Like, do we really have to pick out brown M and M's from the bowl?" And like, no, that's just to make sure you read. So good job, you know. <laughs> this yeah. Says, um, so, uh, but you know. It's 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 instinctive. So it's interesting to me that you you sort of put people in this position and see if they have that right. I mean, because right. I'll, I'll I'll be honest, you're really easy to road dog for. You're you're not a demanding person. Uh, you, you, everything sort of moves fluidly. With, with this one, with with the dinner with Dan, there was a little bit more prep because you know we needed to get it right. You well, let's let's just just get into that, and we'll get into your side of this, but. Um, what I did before I brought you in as a road dog involved all of my road dog stuff. And I, and I think the, to, the the simple way of looking at this is is it's probably ego driven. There's a lot of ego in here. Mm -hmm. like like having you know when when just by saying it's not about you anymore, it's about it's about the guy you're road dogging for, you know you have to put your ego aside. That doesn't mean you become this lump of coal or, or this you know this barely inert <laughs> biological mass. <laughs> You, you, everything else is working except the ego. And you know what? When I road dogged with Howard, we get in arguments. You know, my ego was healthy, but it was healthy enough to put aside because the gig demanded. It's kind of like the same as saying, I need to work now. And you tell your family, honey, children, I need, daddy needs to go in the office, close the door, and he's going to work for two hours. That means you don't disturb him. The, you know, it's not an ego thing. That's the gig, you know? Yeah. So... So um, I put my road dog stuff together because at this event, 
Dan Kennedy was going to be there along with it. It, it was just a, a great event. There was a, a sterling list of A-listers. I mean, Deutsch was there. Uh, Clayton Makepeace was there. And we, we had lunch with, uh, with, with, with Clayton, too. Right. But I wanted to have dinner with Dan Kennedy. Now, I've known Dan Kennedy since the late 80s when he did uh, keynote speeches at the events that Gary and I co-produced down in, um, in Key West, the, the uh, uh, hot seat seminars. And... I just adored Dan. I learned everything I know, almost everything, the the fundamentals of speaking from the stage from Dan. I just by watching him, figuring it out, and hanging out. And he and I, when when he was in the room, we we had a lot of uh, fun together. He's a funny guy. Uh, our, our politics are diametrically opposed, but we have a good time with that. And we um, and we share horror, uh, horror stories and war stories from business and from personal life. And we've gotten along very well. The thing is, though, Dan is even more of an introvert than I am. And right after he talks, there was a short period of time and then he's gone. He arranges it. So he's being picked up literally minutes after he gives his speech at certain events I've been at. Where I caught him on the way out, I go, Dan. He goes, John. I didn't know you were here. And I said, Dan, good speech. He goes, Oh man, I wish I had time to talk. But my car's here, and he's off to the airport. That is, it was that way for like thirty years. Well, twenty-five years, something like that. And in all the years I've known Dan, and he asked me to speak at his first marketing event, his first seminar that he hosted in Phoenix back in I think nineteen ninety or ninety-one. You know, I was the only other speaker he invited to, to come in, and I was the only speaker allowed to pitch at uh, his big uh, copywriter boot camp. So, so, and I've spoken at a number of, of his events. Um, he's, you know, he he trusts me, and we get along really well. But we've never broken bread together. And all those years, we never went out to dinner because Dan was very protective and he'd always disappear. And it was, that was like a sore spot with me. And so I, I decided, I decided, you know, God damn it, we're going to have dinner, Dan. And to reach Dan, anybody who's tried to do it realize you can only reach him through fax. He doesn't have email. Right. He doesn't have a cell phone. He he doesn't deal in the modern world at all. He's we, quite. We should successful. explain what a fax is to to, to the millennials. It's yeah, yeah. FAX. It's it's a machine that transmits uh, written uh, like a copy machine that goes through the ether and prints it back out miles away. It's it's it, yeah. it used to be an amazing feat of technology. Fact, facsimile, yeah. yeah. It used to have to be a heat thermal paper that it would print out. There's a long story by that, but yes. So you have to fax, and often you have to fax. If you don't, if you aren't on his inside and have his personal fax number, you have to fax his assistant right. in Phoenix, who then faxes him in she, Ohio. She, yeah, she like bundles these things up and FedExes him a box of fax paper for him to. That's how he goes through his email, basically. <laughs> I mean, you wonder how the guy gets so much done. He just doesn't deal with all the digital horseshit distraction that the rest of us do. It's brilliant. And yet, and yet he gets stuff done. And he also insists on using. Um, overhead projectors for his talks while everybody else is using PowerPoint. Anyway, that, but beside that point, Dan is, you know, that doesn't make, that makes Dan a kind of a dinosaur, but he still gets stuff done and he's still one of the top uh, marketing producers and still takes clients and does, gets it all done. Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, flies on his own private plane. Now, so I'm faxing Dan and I'm telling him, and this is not the first time, by the way, that I've hoisted this, you know, let's get together for, for, for dinner. And, um, 
And finally, you know, after a couple of faxes back and forth, I just make it worth his while. I shame him literally into this. I say, Dan, you realize we've never had dinner together. And he, he, he faxes back. That can't possibly be true. Yes, it is. And then, then he says, okay, I'll do it. You know, once he's done that, then I, I, I am going to make sure that he can't weasel out of it. So at the event, you know, one of the, the things that happened was my road dog, uh, experience was done by by knowing what needed to be done to get him to agree to do that. By the way, Dan Dan had a fabulous time. He just really enjoyed it, Good. and it was a, it was it was a. There's a whole other story about that dinner, but the but the the build up to that dinner meant that I then handed over a big bulk of this to Kevin at. In in Florida, Dan was going to come the next day. Uh, Kevin and I were actually there for uh, four days, I think. Yeah. Um, and I I just said, Kevin, you've got to you got to mm-hmm. find a restaurant. There's a very basic, you know, couple of points. I don't even remember if I gave you basic points. I, it was a steak joint, right? And you had to find one that was walkable, um, well, uh, that would seat yeah. us, that w- wasn't going to be inundated with attendees from the. Uh, yeah from the seminar what what yeah what you, yeah there's a few good points you, you you said we need at least two reservations if not three um for backup <laughs> in case something goes wrong i thought that was really smart because there's not going to be a second chance at getting dan to, That's to go it. To yeah it. first excuse he's like yeah this didn't work out <laughs> i was right all those years this sucks yeah <laughs> and uh so you know and then it was about you know, you checked on dietary restrictions because we, we yeah. at first thought that his wife would join us and we just wanted to be sure everybody was, yeah. you know, taken care of. So we, we just thought ahead and what could, you know, everything could possibly go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, tick off all the boxes to, to it. And it just turned out that um, so I called a few different places and on my way into town, I passed a place that looked perfect. And then what I did was, uh, you know, I went, I, I didn't know the area so well. So I, I went right to the, um, the um, concierge and I said, look, here's the situation. It's got to be just right. And, and she gave me a, a couple names and then I booked it. And, and then so, uh, yeah. And it, it, then we found out, though, um, late in the game that Dan wanted to walk. He preferred to walk yeah. to the place. And so that was for me was my bit of anxiety was. Uh, it seemed close. I asked everybody, is this place walkable? You know, I was asking all the people from uh, AWAI and they'd right. go, yeah, yeah, you can definitely <laughs> walk in. I was like, oh man, I don't know. It was and about a, half a mile, wasn't it? Yeah, but, if that, it, but there's a little bridge you go over right. and it's kind of one of these things like you get to the bridge and you'd like to be done there, right? Yeah. And then you get over the bridge and you realize it's not right there. And that's so you and Dan at the same time both started getting a little curmudgeonly and going, all right, how much further is this place? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> shit, here we go. You know, <laughs> One more block. Oh, one more block. That's yeah, what it was. One... Yeah, like twice it was one more block and then and then like a beacon in the in the desert you know an oasis this thing just appeared i was like oh thank yeah. god and yeah, so, that was that was that was a, 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 a that was probably two blocks too far for dan but but he did fine he was wearing cowboy boots in florida so <laughs> yeah, yeah and he had that he had his, 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 his coat he was dressed so uh, really debonair you know but just to just let me let me steal your thunder yeah. for just a bit to finish that part up coming back i looked at you and i said we're not walking back after the dinner and you said i'm on it and you what I, I knew that there was a golf cart taxi service 
And so I um, called ahead to the hotel while we were at the restaurant. How, how did you even know that existed? Because I didn't know it existed. Uh, I, I think I, that's what I did as I, when they, I was getting, you know, wishy-washy answers to, is it walkable? I was looking for my alternatives, you know? And they said, well, that's a great option is to just take this golf cart taxi thing. And so um, I knew right away that that's how we were getting back home. And, right. and again, part of it's luck. You know, if that guy would have decided to go meet his weed dealer instead of picking us up, you know, that could have turned weird, you know. But just turns out that guy was on it. He was right on time. It was a lot of fun to ride back in the thing. Yeah. You know, well, sometimes it just all kind of clicked. Yeah, that was that was that was ex extremely good. And, it, you know, a lot of this is is luck, but it's like the kind of luck that happens when you. And you prepare, you know, when you have ahead. a goal and you set things up. Yeah. yeah. When you when you push things towards the lucky thing. Uh, so we had a uh, I mean, there's a famous picture going around on social media of the four of us. Uh, we took Deutsch with us. Um, you know, we're at a booth. Uh, it was very private. That the, booth the acoustics was, were. Yeah, that, that was a real bonus. I just want to say, because that's another thing could suck of a dinner if the acoustics aren't right. Right. A lot of restaurants. I, I have had that experience uh, three of the last four times I've gone to, to dinners with with clients or with people in the mastermind where acoustics were a problem. I could barely hear the person next to me. I don't know when restaurants decided that noise was a factor. Yeah. You know, a, is, you know, was a positive thing. But, you know, the idea of the quiet restaurant has gone the way of Sinatra and the uh, rap. <laughs> right. And that was perfect. It was one of of those old style steak joints uh, had a bar, had a big open area where we could have sat at a table, might have been a little different, but there was this booth, cushioned booth. Yeah, it was, and tall. it was perfect. We could whisper and, and hear across the room and, yeah. and it was great. And we were never interrupted even once. The waiters, in fact, hovered and waited for opportunities to come in and, you know, deliver and, and ask for orders and things like that. Turned out to be a perfect thing. And and we came back and, and, and Dan, of course, held court as as yeah. we invited him to do i mean the first thing he did was pretty funny he just sat down he looked right at me he says so john is this a casual eat or is there some business proposition you're going to float to me and, and i said dan i'm insulted this is purely dinner and of course it was just wanted to have and once he relaxed and then it was just hilarious we're laughing our heads off and i don't you know peripherally we talked about business but we didn't talk about business specifically we talked about the things around business. It was four business guys in the same business sharing laughs and doing things. Just to add one other thing, at a um, uh, Deutsch was invited because Deutsch asked me to be a road dog a couple of years ago at an event where I was speaking on stage with Dan Kennedy. We did a, uh, it was a GKIC event, and Dan and I had three different times where we both got up on stage and uh, and and talked to the audience. And um, I, I brought a road dog because I was pitching at, at that thing. So, so I needed somebody to man the uh, booth at the back and, and be a guy. And Deutsch had, had asked about doing it. So I said, oh, okay. You know, and Deutsch tried to be a great road dog. Totally, totally got, got into the, the mindset and did that. And this is an A-list writer. Yeah, one of the say, more famous writers. Yeah, for and, anybody that and, doesn't know, I think Deutsch has the record for controls at Boardroom. Yeah, right? he had and, six controls at that time at Boardroom, at that time. Sure. And it was funny because I'd introduce yeah, this is David Deutsch. He's got, he's got six controls at board. It's like people's <laughs> eyes get really wide. This is a marketing summer. And it, it, you know, it's not it's not that I carry that kind of mojo. It's that 
this is fun stuff, right. you know. So I, I, David got to be on the inside. All everybody wants to be on the inside, but nobody understands what it's like. And once you're in the inside, it's just more fun. You're in the green room where everybody else is hanging out and letting their hair down. You're behind the scenes. You you have you you have cachet. You can go anywhere you want. But as a road dog. Deutsch took care of getting me fed, doing stuff. And there's a point after I talked and we'd done all our talking. And um, th this is one of the things that, that got me into getting Dan out to dinner in Florida in the first place was Deutsch and I are at the bar in this huge hotel in Nashville having uh, dinner served at the bar. And we're laughing our heads off and we're telling stories and we're just having a great time. And I'm up against the wall uh, the last seat at the bar and Deutsch is, you know, on the other side and he's kind of protecting me from people and, and nobody's interrupting us. We're having a good time and we're, we're uh, uh, watching the, the human circus going on around us. Uh, there was actually a dominatrix at the event <laughs> who, who, who was uh, uh, holding court across the bar and it was just, that was hilarious. But anyway, so Dan shows up and he's, he's just on his way through because he's with a, a big time client and he's about to go have dinner with the client. He looks at us and he goes, really? You guys are eating at the bar? And I said, yeah, where else are you going to eat? And he says, well, I'm taking this guy and we're going to have steaks and we're going to talk business. And he looked at me and he gave me kind of a wistful look and I knew in his heart of hearts he would have rather just chucked it all and sat down at the bar with with uh, David and I mm. and, and had dinner there and told war stories and stuff. So I thought, yeah, that's on my list of things to do. I'm going to mm. do that for Dan. And of course, I, I also got a lot out of it. But, you know, Deutsch was was a damn good road doc. So so we so we took him him with us. Yeah. And, um, you know, part of part of the job of a road dog is to listen and participate, but not be the center of attention, too. So, again, this gets back to it's not about you. you yeah, know, right. That, and that, both both you guys were were excellent at that. We we, you know, we encouraged Dan to talk and and, and it, you know, we're never going to share anything. He he he, yeah. he felt he felt really comfortable. I felt comfortable. It, it was just a comfortable, really nice dinner among colleagues that wouldn't have happened without this kind of road dog skill stuff. And and we'd probably still be walking back from that thing helping Dan because he had a uh, <laughs> he had a feigning spell if we'd had to walk back. So <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an interesting dynamic too. Uh, I think is just, you know, the ebb and flow of conversation, right? Yeah. And, and, and sort of being in the moment. Good like, point. You know, you know for really good point. you know for for me it was it was an interesting dynamic because one other thing I, I, I bring to our, our relationship, um, John, is you and I have a lot of shared interests and you, you kind of know my best stories, my road stories from the comic days, right? right? And occasionally you'll call on me to tell one of them. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I'm conscious of that. I, I sort of need to be ready, you know, and so. Um, a two minute, two minute in and out. Yeah. yeah. And the so, punchline. Set up, point, punchline. Yeah. And, and so, you know, kind of, we know that Dan also is a fan of comedy and has studied it and actually wrote a book on humor and marketing. Yeah. Great book. A great book. Um, yeah. Make them laugh and take their money. <laughs> <laughs> Great yeah. title. And anyway, it, it came up that I was a stand-up, and, and he showed mild interest, but it was clear that um, he'd much rather uh, tell stories than hear stories. Yeah. And, and again, I, that doesn't make him a bad guy at all. Not and at all. That that we, that is his privilege as the. It it it, it was. 
it wasn't a roast of Dan, but he was well aware that he was the the yeah. star star participant at that dinner. I yeah. you know I picked up the bill. I made sure he knew that you know Dan dinner's on me. I'm bringing along these two road dogs, and but this is this is about taking you out to dinner and not you know not pitching you on business or anything. So yeah. all of that was very very important. Yeah, and so and that yeah it was great. It was just like. The, the undertone of um, of all that stuff. Like you said, it, it wasn't a big ego thing. It's just that it, it, that's where everybody wanted to be. It's like, we, we got, let's just listen to Dan, you know? Uh, and that's a really good point. Um, you were there at the uh, Joe Sugarman event in Vegas. Yep. Do you remember that dinner? Now, I called up Joe Sugarman, and J- Joe Sugarman and I have broken bread. We've had dinner together, and we've we've hung out a bit. I really like Joe. And, in fact, he's going to be the uh, – I, I think he's going to stop in a, a guest appearance at my next mastermind, which which happens to be in Vegas oh, where, wow. where Joe has a home. But anyway, so I wanted to eat with Joe before this event the night before, and I, I just wanted to have a relaxed dinner. And it got out and wound up being – how many? There are 20 people there or something? Yeah. What and Joe Polish brought his entire office, and it was just <laughs> – and I was going to pick – and it was just – it just got, got out of hand, and that was – you know, that that's a constantly learned lesson. I thought I had kept it small. But it didn't. So it 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 never became a, a relaxed dinner with Joe trading war stories. It became this huge. You know, we had to put three tables together, and it became. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 why you kept handing me the phone when he would call you for directions. Remember that? <laughs> no. Polish like everybody. Oh, was, there right. was two of the same restaurant. You know, like yeah, some yeah, Chinese yeah. buffet or something. So totally different scenario than. Well, there was no road dog taking care of this. I let uh, somebody else pick the restaurant. It was. Uh, that's right. Know, it was, yeah, that's right. And, and it's just you know it, it was it was the antithesis. It, it wasn't bad. It turned out to be a good time. Yeah. And Joe and I got to talk and John, John Benson, but it just wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it, it's it, I I think the point you make that that's where everybody wanted to be, um, you know, I think it's good especially when you're not on the inside of if you're outside looking in but you're not a civilian you're still a professional you're out there wanting to be on the inside that that it's a worthy goal even if you only bop in and bop out to have the privilege of being able to be on the inside i think is where business becomes more fun business becomes more fulfilling on multiple levels and the opportunities just ratchet up several more levels. Now, there are writers who are on the inside who um, don't take advantage of it or don't need to or uh, don't don't want to or feel uncomfortable. And then there are other ones who just bounce around from different kinds of of insides. I've actually partied with a number of the top people, you know, in in our business, gone out, not a word about business, just go out and, and, you know, just like I I do with my college pals from from way back when. And there, there are people who are professionals who are in, who lack some of the skills, as most writers do, most writers, let's face it, are introverted, you know, nebbishes, you know, they're, they're, they're Woody Allen without the sense of humor, you know, (laughs) it's, it's, (laughs) and, and sometimes, you know, you have to take stock of yourself. And that was part of my speech too, is, you know, take stock of yourself. Who are you? And what do you bring to the table? And if you're a guy who is the kind of guy that the other people are waiting for you to leave so they can start having fun, Uh then come to terms with that. It's okay to be that person. I happen to know a lot of very wealthy people who are like that. 
Yeah, but we, um, would that person but, ever realize that about themselves, though? Possibly. Really? Um, I, I, I haven't invested a huge amount of time in trying to change that because <laughs> I am actually offended by people who want to monitor other people's fun. So yeah. that that puts me at, at a political disadvantage <laughs> sometimes. But it's just like it's like, you know, dude, you're you're an adult. You don't try to be funny if you're not funny, but you can still be part part of the group. Right. If you understand the roles and stuff. But the, the worst thing is to be around somebody who thinks they know the jokes. The one 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 quick story. Halbert and I. Uh, during those seminars down in Key West, we we were savage with each other. It was brutal. I was always trying to make him crack up and spit his coffee out. He was doing the same to me. We insulted each other on stage. Uh, we we there was no depth we wouldn't sink to to humiliate the other person in front of this paying crowd of people <laughs> at this event. And it was just part of our shtick, you know. Yeah. And one time, actually, it happened a couple of times. But the one time that stuck in my memory was Gary and I had a break. We're talking, and this is before I. I had realized I needed to tell people to leave me the hell alone in between breaks and leave Halbert alone, too. Uh, we had kind of an open policy at that time. It was an early one. So we're sitting there, and this guy walks up and interrupts Gary and I as we're talking. Both Gary and I turn to him, and he says something insulting to him. I don't remember exactly what it was, but in his mind, he's participating in the fun. But it's like it's like the old thing of, hey, I can call my buddy an asshole, but you call him an asshole, and, and you've got to deal with me. Right. You know, I will take you down. And this guy just walks up and it was like, and both of our response was, Gary and mine is that the same was, are you that clueless, dude? You know, back off. And and this guy was stunned. It was like, wait a minute. I thought this was all, if I had an insulting joke to say or something that I'd be part of the in crowd. <laughs> no, that's not how you get it. That's not, you know, that's a total misunderstanding and misreading of the entire situation. So that doesn't mean he couldn't have corrected. Maybe that was the mistake that sent him off on a self-discovery uh, you know, uh, tour where he realized, you know, he's not funny. He realized he's got to start paying attention to other people's needs. It's not about him. All, all of these things that start to happen that some of us go through organically, naturally. Right. You know, the the job that you had, you had a couple of jobs, Kevin, which which I think aimed you towards being a great road dog, which, by the way, most road dogs have a very short career as a road dog because eventually, you know, you become that A-lister or that person where then you need a road dog, you know, right. and you know, but but I would still road dog for people. I really enjoy it and I know it, but it, it is, you know, it's, I haven't had the opportunity to do it in a long time. But you were a... Um, you know, you were at the hotel. You were a uh, uh, oh yeah, a, a bellman. Door, That's right, a, yeah. a bellman. Mm -hmm. And it's like you know th that kind of that kind of thing. You don't need to be obsequious. You don't need to be. You don't need to be unctuous, and those are words that merely mean the kind of guy that's saying, "What what can I do for you?" And you will, you know, you will do anything, and you uh, you supplicate yourself in front of it. You don't need to be like that. Right. Uh, Mongo, you know, Scott Haynes was never like that. Uh, Gary was never going to tell Scott what to do, but Scott knew how to do the road dog job mm -hmm. and do it really well. It's just you know, you know, Gary's never going to bully him or or um, you know order him around. But Scott didn't need to be ordered around because he knew what, what needed to be done. So there's a delicate balance in there. Anyway, I hope it, we're getting towards the end of this. I hope people understand why I think this is so important. It's 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 an un, untapped opportunity for people to get mentoring from other people. Uh, it's a way in. It's a way through the door 
when you don't have other opportunities to get through. But again, you can't just say, I'll do anything. I'll be your, I'll be your slave. That, that ain't going to do it. That's not, people yeah. don't need slaves. No. They need competent high end. The, the irony of being a road dog is that you almost have to be hovering around the A-list to be able to understand what needs to be done. Because when I was road dogging for Gary, I was already a top writer in, in the, for the financial newsletters back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I was being groomed for the kind of job that Deutsch had and, and Makepeace has and, 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 and you know, working for Boardroom and those guys. And I abandoned all that to go off with Gary into the entrepreneurial void you know, and, and go in a totally di- di- different direction because I didn't want to write the same stuff over and over again. I wanted to have right. different stuff. But I was, you know, I took a pay cut to go work with him. So I had to balance all of this out. Why was I doing that? Where was this going? And it's just I knew I had so much more I wanted to learn. Not that I necessarily needed to learn, that I wanted to learn. And I I do not regret that for for an instance. And I think that's why guys like Deutsch and Rogers, you – will deign to be a road dog for a while because it's a thankless job (laughs) you know frankly you know you're sitting at the bar and you're not enjoying yourself you got one eye on the guy that's talking to me and the other eye on the guy behind me hovering waiting to jump in you know and (laughs) and another eye on the tv knowing it's the middle of the uh, bottom of the seventh you know in a crucial part of the game so yeah um yeah well i don't know i'll I'll say it's (laughs) you know it's to me it feels it's a natural thing um uh it's part of what we call the the mentee mindset right or the mentee attitude john yeah. Yeah. and you know it, i think it's the, the important takeaway here because look you, you may or may not ever get a chance to do this road dog type scenario um but i think the bigger picture here is is how do you get on the inside how do you approach people? What's the proper way? Mm-hmm. John, you know, you and I both get a lot of emails from people sort of, you know, you get all varieties. You get the I'll do anything. You get, uh, you know, the people who try to force their way in, acting like a big dog when they're not. Yep. You get all kinds of bad versions. But the good versions are the people who just go, they, they offer something helpful. And um, or they simply ask a, a good question, and they and a dialogue starts from that, and relationships grow. So I cannot I cannot tell you how many people have interviewed me over the years who say, "Nah, I'm going to give you the most unique interview you ever had," <laughs> and blah blah blah, and it's the same shit that I get. I I can predict what the ten questions are going to be. Yeah. And they're astonished that, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this rote memory, and, you know, and answering. And it's just and they said, wow, was, was that unique? Nope, that's pretty much like every other interview I've had. And, you know, it's like I'm astonished. How much thinking does it take to think out of the box a little bit? And apparently it takes a lot. It really is a self-segmenting part of being a human being. There are some people that are they're just naturally going to wind up on the inside. They either bring a lot to the table, they're just, you know, they're just positioned in the right way it's going to happen. Other people, like me for example, it's not going to happen unless I learned how to do it and and it took advantage of opportunities and incrementally got myself into position where I was I was on the inside. That's why I know this this gig so well. And you know, just to finish up, it's very much like being a friend. You know, I've been studying friendship for a long time. I've, I've been really lucky. I've, I've had a large number of friends. I've had very good friends. I've always had a best friend. I've, sometimes I've had multiple best friends. But I learned that, interestingly enough, multiple people at certain times considered me their best friend. And I've had 
several quote unquote best friends live in the same town as other best friends of mine and they would never get together. They wouldn't like each other. They, they didn't, they'd never communicated. They had nothing in common. And I thought, what the heck is going on there? And that got me thinking about friendship and what it takes to be a friend. And it involves a lot of the stuff that goes into being a road dog, that kind of being, being in the moment, doing what needs to be done at that time. So I have conversations with with longtime friends, people I've known for 30, 40 years, uh, some, some of the people I've known since kindergarten. And I'll have a conversation with them that I'll never have with someone else who I may be equally good friends with on, on a different way of measuring it. Yeah. But it's it's it, you you need to be a bit of, of a uh, chameleon. Uh, you need to understand a lot of different things. And you you hit on it earlier about having lots of interests. One of the keys to <clears throat> rising above standard issue top dog copywriters or marketers is to have interests outside of your business. One of the most boring things that I can encounter is a business guy who can only talk about business and feels like a fish out of water if he's talking about anything else and has no other interests. And, you know, after three or four hours of talking biz, wants to go have dinner and talk about biz. I'm, I check out. I'm, you know, I have too many other things going on in life that, that are important to me, that I care about, that I want to do, including laughing. Remember that, um, uh, dinner we had in Vegas, there was you, me, um, Lori Morgan Ferraro and her husband, John and, uh, Curly, uh, Jim, Jim Curly. Yep. And was Deutsch with us? I can't remember. I I think Deutsch was with us too. And, you know, we almost couldn't finish our meals because we were laughing so hard for about two hours. It was just, it was hilarious. And we didn't talk business for even five seconds, I don't think. And here were top writers, you know, sitting down and it was just, it was just, it was so funny, so invigorating. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a key. I'll tell you that something that struck me, it was interesting for me, one other dynamic, I don't want to reveal too much, but I know that's a big thing for you is, you know, we don't talk biz much when we're hanging out. We have, again, a lot of shared interests. I know you love talking music and, and guitars and books and re- old records with, with people. Um, and it's, that's the fascinating, that's the life stuff, you know? But it was a little interesting to me that um, when we had uh, lunch with Clayton, that um, he really, he enjoys talking biz, you know? Yeah. And, and it, part of it was a function of the fact that you guys had never, uh, I don't think you'd ever eaten together either, right? That was... Um, no. That, and, we, we'd had drinks before together, but no, we never sat okay, down. Okay, so, yeah, I think it was a lot of you guys comparing notes throughout your careers. That was, right. that was fascinating as well. Uh, you know, so um, it, it's not a general rule, but again, it's just about... You know, being in the moment, surveying the landscape and and accommodating the conversation. You know, again, it doesn't mean you have to be a wallflower and not participate, but, um, you know, be be conscious of what's what's going on. Uh, You know, little mannerisms and people will give you social clues in real time and you just got to be sort of hip to them. Oh, geez, we we need to do a whole show just on that social clue thing. You know, I, I was just realizing everything that I am today, my guruship and and any notoriety I have, and and even the fact that I wrote books and wrote courses and stuff, I owe to 
to work that the, the the one do, the one thing all of that has in common was that one door that road dog door that I came through because Gary at the time that I became a road dog with Gary he was he was hiring lots of riders at the time and they all went away I'm talking about a dozen different guys mm-hmm. all of equal quality to me uh equal experience equal um, talent all of that what I brought was that X factor of I was going to put my ego aside and, you know, watch really carefully. He didn't have to explain it to me. I figured it out and I just dedicated myself to doing that. And I watched other riders turn their nose up at it because every step of success that they had meant they got to say goodbye to the things that they didn't like doing. And yeah. for me, that was irrelevant. It was like at, at some point, you know, I was more or less living the life I wanted to live anyway. So I was really happy to work in business in any capacity at all. And I wasn't above going and getting coffee at an infomercial shoot, even though I was the one that had written the script and they were going to need me if they had script stuff. But I I just paused. I said, I got five minutes. I'm going to go for coffee. You know, do you guys want coffee? And it was like, I met so many writers where they wouldn't even consider that. That that would have been the story they would tell years later about, can you believe they wanted me to go for coffee? (laughs) No, I brought it up that I was going for coffee because it was needed. So yeah, that's, that's, that's something we could talk about a lot and i think we're narrowing in on we haven't nailed it down but there's there's a really good lesson here that we may get back into in in later podcasts of just you know the mindset there's so much more to it from the outside for civilians to look into it it seems easy because we know what we're doing but it's kind of like watching somebody play guitar and if you ignore the 20 years of sitting in the room alone with bleeding fingers, you know, practicing over and over and over, if you ignore all that, then it looks like playing guitar is pretty easy. You sit down and you just plunk away. Right. And if that's your the way you look at anything in business, uh, running a biz, uh, you know, uh, handling a launch, writing, writing at a better level, doing consulting – you're going to miss the essentials of it. You know, it's, it's, uh, takes a lot of experience, takes a lot of talent, takes a lot of, there has, there's always a mentor in there somewhere. Um, uh, just, you know, it, 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 and it is a mindset. It's a, um, uh, and that, that's what I love about the whole road dog thing. It's just, I, uh, I, I can't emphasize enough how it's not a natural default attitude that people bring to the game. You, you, you have to understand there are elements here that you've either got to learn or you got to handle that if you haven't done it before, this will be the first time you've done it, such as taking care of everyone. It's kind of like putting on a dinner party in a way. Somebody has to take control. Yeah. You may want to pretend, like back when I was going to orphan Thanksgiving dinners, you know, Thanksgiving is, is, is coming up here. And some of the best Thanksgivings I ever had was among orphans in a college town where, you know, none of us were going home and we all got together and we had a party and it was really fun and we ate. And if you asked us, we'd all say, yeah, it just kind of happened. But it never just happens. There was one person there who was planning it, who made sure there was enough room, made sure the right people were coming, the wrong people weren't coming, made sure there was enough food, did, did all of that. And they they may not have asked for credit. You may not have even known they've done it. They did it under the, under the radar. But that's the level of commitment to getting the gig done mm. that that we're talking about. And it's invisible to most civilians. And I think that's a good place to stop. Yep. It's good stuff, yeah. Okay, pal. Yeah, it is good stuff. And it just while we're talking, it just got me thinking more. And I hope when Dan hears this that he understands this was all done in love 
And uh, uh, just, you know, it was such a treat to trick and force and shame him into having dinner with us. And yeah. uh, congratulations to Kevin for, for understanding and making sure that that it happened in the way that it should happen. That right. couldn't have been more perfect the, the way it happened. Yeah. But it wasn't by accident. It was by design. And, you know, a lot of things could have gone wrong and we were, we were just one step ahead ahead of the game. Yeah. Well, thank you, man, for, for, you know, trusting me and bringing me into that, you know, to think that you spent... 25 years making a dinner happen that I, that I got to whisk myself into to, for making a couple of phone calls. That, that's oh, that's amazing. So yeah, it's pretty funny. You know, I I appreciate it. It, it was an epic evening, and um, much has been said. So and much has not been said. Uh, like you said, you know, respectfully left out of the conversation. Uh, but you know, suffice it to say that Dan Kennedy is everything you you think he is from his books. Uh, that he's very much himself, you know, that is not, well, a, he's, not he's a caricature. A, he's a real guy and we need more guys like that. And I fear looking at a lot of the people coming up and taking over Guru Reigns, you know, the, the younger guys, <clears throat> I fear there are less and less of that real type of guy out there. Mm. Um, I hope I'm wrong and I hope, you know, there are there's still plenty of time for other people to come up. Um Guys like you and, and your ilk are taking the reins and doing the right things and learning this stuff. But way too many people are trying to shortcut the whole process. And you know what? It just it, it, there's so much in life that it just it's just going to take years to figure it out, folks. Stop trying to shortcut. There's a lot of things you can shortcut, and I've lived my life taking advantage of shortcuts whenever possible. But sometimes it's not possible, and you have to be able to sit back and say, this is going to take some time, and I'm going to invest that time. Again, like learning a language, learning an instrument, learning how to write well, learning how learning the gig almost never happens immediately, and you're going to fall down. You're going to be, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You've got to be in that. I'll learn from my mistakes. I'll, I'll make sure I do better next time. And, you know, it that, that whole attitude thing is so important. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll be talking about that later. So, all right, pal, Good stuff. I'm done. All right. Thanks, John. And uh, everybody, you know, be sure to visit us on P-I, the number four, M-M.com. We love your comments. We love engaging in the dialogue there. It's a big part of why we do this. So come see us there and uh, we'll have another one for you soon. Thanks, John. Okay, bye-bye. See you.